Listen up, real estate investors, entrepreneurs, and agents. You're in the right place. Unlocking the secrets to real estate investing and entrepreneurship. Welcome to the Titanium Vault, hosted by RJ Bates III. Here's RJ. Hello and welcome to the Titanium Vault. I'm your host, RJ Bates. Today I'm sitting down with Joe Evangelisti. Joe, how are you doing? Great, man. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. I appreciate you taking the time to sit down with us. So why don't you take a second to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you do in real estate investing. Yeah, for sure, man. So uh, yeah, my name is Joe Evangelisti and uh, from the um, uh, South Jersey market right outside of Philadelphia. And uh yeah, in the real estate space at this point, you know, my, my crew is pretty much doing uh, rehab, fix and flips, and uh, some buy and hold stuff. We'll, we'll keep uh, about 30% of the stuff that we buy. Um, and, um, you know, we'll do some wholesale. And uh, we also own a, um, a REMAX business. So we'll do a lot of brokerage business as well throughout the year. Awesome. Yeah. So I know you've got a ton to share with the listeners today. You're, you're a super impressive guy. I follow you all over Facebook, and uh, we've been friends for a while. So uh, let's let's go back to the beginning, though, and, and kind of inspire people. Tell people how you got your start in real estate investing. Oh, man. So uh, going back now, it feels like about 30 years. It's probably about 11, though. So uh, so it all started actually back in uh, about two, 2007. I read uh, the 4-Hour the Workweek, which uh, I'm sure a lot of people have read that book or at least listened to the audio at this point. And um, I started reading that book, and I read it like over and over again. I probably read it 25 times. And uh, I decided like when I read that book, and back then, like nobody automated anything, you know, it wasn't like a common practice. Everyone just worked their ass off. Right. And uh, I kind of read the book and I decided like, dude, I'm doing this. Like I'm, I'm, I'm doing that. I'm figuring out a way to do this. So, and I always loved real estate. I was in, I was in the construction business uh, all my life. My dad's been in the construction business. He was a builder and, um, you know, somewhere in between there, you know, from 98 to, uh, Oh four, I was a, a builder in the, in the, uh, in the, uh, U S Navy Seabees, which is, uh, basically the, uh, uh, they're the, like the land, uh, the land lovers of the Navy. We don't, we don't go on ships or anything. We kind of, uh, we kind of stay on land and, uh, operate by, uh, you know, airplanes back and forth, but, uh, we build, uh, you know, um, uh, on land. And, uh, so I've, I've been a builder my whole life. I was in the military as a builder and I got out of the military and I decided I, I wanted to stay a builder and I was in construction and, and naturally I kind of flew into, uh, to real estate. And, uh, and then when I read that book, I was like, man, I got to figure out how to automate real estate. You know, I, I want to figure out how to make this thing happen. But not not only as it's happening, I, I was kind of trying to figure out how do I make it, how do I make it happen for me, uh, not happen with me. So, um, you know, ever since my first rehab, I've always been kind of picking it apart and trying to figure out how do I, how do I make this thing systematized. Um, but I started doing flips back in 07. And uh, back then when I was doing the flips, I was also a broker. So I always tell people I was I was living like a Clark Kent Superman type of life, you know, like I was <laughs> I was dressing up in a suit and tie and I was taking people out to see houses and I was going to listing appointments, uh, you know, in the mornings. And then, uh, you know, then I'd come home and, and, and swap out my uh, into uh, jeans and T-shirt and I'd go out to the uh, the flips and I'd be doing stuff by hand and you know working on the houses and flipping stuff in the nights and nights and weekends. So. Uh, you know, I was just grinding, man. I was working, you know, just nights and weekends, seven days a week, just 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 working two different businesses, and um, you know, just, just that kind of thing. A lot of people start that way, right? Right. Um, and uh, you know, I, I I was I was making good money. I was doing it, and it was it was all coming together. It was working, but um, I was just getting burnt out. Like I wasn't spending time with my wife, and you know, at that time, and like I guess oh nine, my my first daughter was born, and 
I wasn't spending time with my daughter the way I wanted to. So I kind of started realizing like, I got to leverage this thing. I got to figure out how to, how to start building some, uh, some leverage into it. And that's when, uh, I started realizing I got to hire people. I got to, I got to start building a team around me. Cool. So let's talk about that a little bit. What was the first hire you made and why did you choose that to be your first hire? Yeah. So, um, I, my first hire was actually uh, an assistant. And, uh, it's funny, we talk about this now at, at our mastermind meetings. It's like, I would, I would think about 80% of the people that, uh, that come to us for advice, like 80% of the people that come to us need an assistant as their first hire. That seems to be like the, the, the commonality between a lot of business owners mm-hmm. because it frees up a business owner from a lot of the like 10 to $20 an hour work that needs to be done. Um, and it, it lets you concentrate on your high gain activities, right? So, you know, generally that assistant takes all that, that just junk off your plate. Right. Uh, and for a lot of like type A personality, like drivers, like business owners that just want to go out there and like hammer stuff home, like kind of salespeople like myself, um, that, that assistant's going to be that paperwork processor, you know, uh, contract, the good, you know, the, the, you know, pushing paper around stuff kind of, and they're, so they're taking away the stuff that you really don't want to do anyway. So, um, a lot of times it's going to make you twice as productive. And and in my case, it was like, I fought it for a long time. I wanted to be an Island. I didn't want to have, uh, any, any employees, but once I hired my first employee and got my assistant on there, like she literally, um, I think she increased our, our, uh, our revenue by like 30 or 40% in the first year. Uh, and that's when it clicked for me. And I realized like, holy shit, what was I doing wrong? Oh um, no, man, am I allowed to curse on your podcast? Yeah, I- man, you can just say whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> We're all big girls and boys. Yeah. Right. So, uh, yeah, I was military, so I kind of, I kind of tend to cuss a lot, but, um, but, uh, yeah, man. So when, once I had her on for a year, uh, I think it was within like, you know, the first 10 months or a year that she was on board, she had her own assistant. Like, like we were, we were bringing employees on left and right. It took us about five years to go from one employee to, uh, to something like 20, 28 employees. Wow. Yeah. So when, when you realize that she increased the revenue by 30 or 40%, was mm-hmm. that because you were being a control freak and then maybe you realized you weren't as good at certain tasks as you thought you were? Because I've seen that with myself when I brought people on. I'm like, I thought I was the best at everything, but actually I really wasn't very good at about 75% of the stuff I was doing. Did you kind of go through that same realization? Oh, dude, for sure. No, so, yeah, I, I don't specifically um... – yeah, for sure. Like I, I was horrible at paperwork, right? Like I know that. I, I know that for like, I know that for a fact. Like I can't follow through with anything. Um, I, I don't know if uh, if you're into Colby Colby exams or a yep. Colby test. If you run your people through that, but I run every one of my employees through that. It took me years to to be introduced to Colby, and uh, once I first took my first Colby, uh, I'm like a three follow through or something like that. And, and it, it took me a while to, to realize that that I, that that's why I'm horrible at follow through with anything. Uh, nowadays, I I, I delegate everything that takes more than, you know, an hour's worth of time to do. Cause I know I won't accomplish it. Um, and, uh, you know, back then I didn't know that. So when I hired, uh, Heather and I realized that, um, I needed that person. Yes. Immediately. It was like, wow, you know, like you can finish a contract in one, in, in one sitting, like it's amazing, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, um, so yeah, no, she, she, she really made things so much more effective for us because, um, she actually accomplished things when she set out to do them because she had a way higher follow through than I did. Right. So, um, yeah, learning about how people interact and, and the strengths and weaknesses of those people. Um, it's really, really funny how far that we've come because, you know, in, in a, in a course of, you know, eight years or so, I guess I've gone from not even knowing what that, that relationship looked like 
to diving so deep down that rabbit hole that now that's how I, I basically instruct, uh, you know, our mentees and the people that are in our programs. I, I, I've gotten so deep into that now that, you know, I, I'm actually able to help people uh, understand and, and teach that stuff. Right. It's funny you bring up writing a contract because about two weeks ago, we had multiple people out of the office sick, a couple of people on vacation, and a contract fell in my lap. And it was like, I'm the only person that's available to do this, so I have to write this contract. And literally, it was one of the most miserable. It, it only took me like 20 minutes. But you would have thought, like my mood afterwards, you would have thought it took me 24 hours to write this contract. And I was like, it's just not, I'm not meant to do that. Like that is not something that is in my mechanics of how I'm built as a person. I should never do that again. And yeah. uh, it, it's funny you kind of brought that up. So let's talk about your team now that you have and kind of the way it's structured and how have you positioned yourself with your team where you're kind of not even in the business, you're just overseeing it. Yeah. So, um, so really one of the, um, one of the core principles, uh, behind getting getting out of that uh that process is really um you know we, we we call it operator to owner um you know one of the one of the biggest challenges with business owners we find is that they're wearing they're wearing two hats like you, you need an op you need an operator and you need to and you need an owner or also known as an integrator and a visionary um which you know if you've read the book traction that's kind of how they they define those two things right, right. um in in most small businesses the owner is doing both you know they're operating the business and they're owning the business and and they're trying to create vision, but they're also trying to create um, the day-to-day -day, you know operations. And really, the, the the best way to be successful when you have a business that's scalable is separating those two those two things into two different people. Mm -hmm. So um, ultimately, you know, the way I was able to walk away was to define who's going to be the integrator and and hire a COO to to run the day-to-day -day operations. But uh, getting back to your first question, you you kind of asked how the business is organized. Um, our business is basically organized into three uh, departments. Um, you know, we have sales and marketing, we have operations, and we have finance. And so within the sales and marketing department, um, we have our retail retail division, which is basically, you know, like Remax, right? The, so the, the realtors that go out there and sell stuff, um, they'll, the, those, those guys will sell uh, retail houses, like they'll go out and list your, your aunt's house. Or uh, they'll also sell our in-house properties. So, like when our when our fix and flips get done, they'll put them on the market for us. Um, and then also under sales and marketing, we have our wholesale division. Um, you know, because wholesale essentially is a sales and marketing component, right? So, you know, we're marketing to to the sellers. We're also um, relisting and reselling, marketing the uh, the deals that we put under contract. Um, <clears throat> and then uh, the second department is operations. Operations is basically all of our fix and flip, right? So that's our construction division. That's our project managers and, uh, you know, all of our um, uh, the, like, uh, admin staff and, and type people that work under the project managers to, you know, keep the utility bills rolling, keep the, you know, projects rolling through uh, schedules and scopes of work and budgets and tracking and all that kind of good stuff. So that's all operations. And then finance is pretty self-explanatory, right? We have accounts accounts receivable and all that kind of good stuff so really the whole company falls under those three departments and then uh you know our coo brian is uh is in charge of all of it so um the way i stay out of it is i let brian do his job let's talk about brian for a second because you you brought up traction and yep. and that's a very popular book right now and the idea of the visionary and the integrator and everybody's talking about this okay. so with you being the visionary how did you how did you meet 
Brian and how did you develop that trust to allow him to do his job and become the integrator? Um, I've known Brian for a long time, uh, but I don't think that necessarily means that, uh, that that's the only reason I could trust Brian. I've known Brian since I was 10 years old. Um, but, uh, but that doesn't mean that, you know, that that's the only reason he's the integrator, right? I think that a lot of companies can find the integrators from, you know, from, you know, um, the ability from them to do their job and, and function. I mean, I trust a lot of my employees and some of them I, I haven't known for more than a couple of years. Um, you know, I, Brian basically, uh, well, let's, let's, let's talk about the integrator position for a second, right? right. I think, uh, the integrator position is someone who, um, really absolutely must come from within, right? So if you're talking about a lot of, uh, smaller organizations, so a lot of real estate organizations, for example, right? You talk about wholesalers, uh, most wholesale companies, like, like legit established companies really have only been around for five or 10 years, right? Uh, most of the guys in the space that we're talking to, probably most of your listeners are really, um, you know, younger companies. I mean, wholesale wasn't really a thing 10 years ago. Um, you know, so, so you're talking about companies that have established themselves and they're probably, you know, three to 10 people tops, you know, maybe, maybe three three to six people. Um, so when you're talking about finding an integrator for within that company, nine times out of 10, the integrator is coming from inside of your company. Um, they're, they're people that already understand the core values. They already understand the culture. They're already a fit. They already understand the operational structure. They understand the components of how everything works. Um, you know, they can pretty much do everybody's job if they have to, kind of like what you just said. You had to step in and do a contract, right? My integrator can do anything. Like he could, he could process a contract. He could do a wholesale deal. He could, he could step in and do a scope of work if he had to, uh, he could do anything, right? He can't all, he can't do any one of those jobs better than probably 90% of the staff, but he could do them. Right. So that person should be able to step in and help at any one of those positions. So they have to be able to be a good communicator. They have to be a great leader. Um, they have to be very, very even keeled. You can't have somebody who's, you know, got a hot temper and is going to go off the handle and, you know, shake things up. You have to have somebody who, which by the way, a lot of these things that I'm explaining, they're the opposite of me. Right. right. So, so, you know, generally as type A business owners, as visionaries, a lot of visionaries don't belong in the office. We, we don't belong, you know, there, um, because the day to day, you know, we're, we're, we're the wrong fit for the office. We're, we're, we're in there micromanaging. We're in there causing chaos. We're in there asking the wrong questions. We're in there shaking shit up and we're not supposed to be mm -hmm. right. So, so the, the, the concept of a visionary is, you know, we should be doing our visionary stuff and not being in, in the integrator piece, but let's get back to the in integrator for a second. Um, you know, they should be even keeled. They should be the people who operate the assembly line, right? So if you think about it like a, you know, like a, like a, a car assembly line, like, you know, you're, you're sitting there and you're trying to spit out red Chevy Corvettes, right? That's their job. Like, Brian, go produce 100 red Chevy Corvettes a week. That's it. You just leave them to do their job, right? Right. A visionary wants to come in and be like, you know what? I'm tired of making Chevy Corvettes, man. Why don't we start making helicopters? <laughs> right? That's what we do. Like right. we, we do dumb shit because we can. Right. Right. So it, 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 real quick, let me interject yeah. because this, like I said, this topic is so, so frequently discussed now amongst successful business people. And it's in the real estate investing industry. Almost every mastermind that I go to now, the book traction gets brought up. Well, you can I, thank I Mark and I for that. <laughs> I, I think it's, I think it's also important <clears throat> that you understand if you are truly a visionary as well, though, 
there are people that go out and start businesses that are truly integrators and they hold themselves back because they don't have the visionary piece just as much as an integrator. So, you know, right now, Joe and I are talking, we're both visionaries. Mm-hmm. So it's easy for us to say the need is to have that integrator, but it's also vice versa as well. Wouldn't you agree with that? Uh, you're 100% on the mark. I think that there's a lot less of them. I think that's probably maybe right. 10 to 15% of your audience, but you're right. There are a lot of people um, that love to be the operator. Um, what's really difficult in that situation is ego comes in the way, right? So mm-hmm. it's really hard for an operator to admit that they need a visionary. Um, you know, because they love to just be in the grind. They love to be in the box. They love to, to, to just, you know, uh, continue to, to integrate and, uh, you know, push that, that, that assembly line, but they need somebody, somebody to be out there being the visionary that's making the, you know, the high level connections. That's, you know, thinking about where you're going to be in five years, um, setting, setting the, uh, you know, the, the, the long-term vision for the company, right? Yeah. Um, generally, you know, that when you're trying to grow a company, you need a CEO, and when you're the owner of the company, it's really hard to admit that you want to be the COO and you need to hire someone to be the CEO. Right. Uh, so it takes a big, a big, you know, kind of stab at your ego to do that. But, you know, for what's healthy for the company, you know, that, that's probably the right move. Um, but you, you're 100% right, RJ. I mean, there's people like that that um, they, they love to be in the day-to-day, man. When I tell people you can create more freedom and go you – know, a lot of people don't want to be me. They don't want to work three hours a week and go do something else. They want they want to be they want to do their job. That's, and that's totally cool. Right. Exactly. Uh, you know, so you're right. So let's, okay. So now we've talked about your team. We've talked about, you have a COO, you have the integrator on your staff. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about kind of how the business functions and how some decisions are made within the business without you being in it. I know you're trusting Brian to make those decisions for you, but you're doing, you know, you're doing a fairly significant amount of buy and holds. Yep. Retail flips and wholesale deals. So when the leads come in, who is making the decision on what is going to be the exit strategy for those properties within your team? So every person, so it's not just Brian, right? Every person on the team um, has their own uh, protocol for what they're allowed to do and can't do, right? And a lot of that has to do with giving them the, the trust and the ability um, to make decisions. Right. So every one of so we, we have two we have two real basic uh, uh, protocols within our company. One is we're, we're building a team of leaders. And so what we mean by that is every person is meant to lead from all the way down from the secretary at the front desk to, to my position. Right. So you're meant to lead your position, whatever that position may be on the accountability chart. You're, you're responsible for it. So. Um, you know, you're taught to, to, to do that thing. If it's to make a decision on a wholesale deal, if it's to make a decision on what to offer, if it's to make a decision on how much we're going to sell it for, whatever the case may be. Right. So, gotcha. um, you know, and, and, and we're going to ultimately we're going to we're going to we're going to back that person's decision, whether it's right or wrong. See, the thing I think about with employees is like if you don't teach your people that failure is OK, then you're going to fail yourself. Right. So so like RJ, you're you own a company and the only way you got successful is that you failed along the way. Like you fucked up. You got back up. You did it again. You, you came to work. You failed. You did something wrong. You learned a lesson. You probably won't do that thing again or maybe you will. And maybe a lesser, maybe, maybe in a different way you'll do it again or you'll you know, but you learn something from that process. One of the biggest challenges is in a lot of companies, people don't let their employees fail 
So they're never going to learn anything. They're just going to keep coming back and asking more questions. And how do I do this? And RJ, tell me how to do it again. Well, if you let them fail, you let them learn from their failures and you let them grow from their failures, then they're going to continue to get better and better and better. And they're going to be just like you one day. They're going to actually, right? It's going to be a healthier relationship. It's a healthier, um, effectively making them into their own leader of their own position. So what I think it's impressive about that is, is because so often I, I talk to the CEOs or the visionaries and they don't want to release control of certain things in their business. I mean, I've literally heard it where it's like, I'll never relinquish control of this in my business. Yeah. And after about spending, you know, an hour to two hours with them, you clearly see how that mindset is holding them back 100%. in their business. Yeah. And it's across the board, just like you said, it, it doesn't stop there with that CEO. Yeah. It translates all the way across to the lowest paid employee in that business. And so, uh, you know, congrats to you for having that, that mindset and the, the team that you've been able to grow. I mean, it, it's just, it's truly, you know, inspiring to, to other people, especially like myself, where I'm at the point now where yes, We've gotten to a level of success, but we want to take it to that next level. And this is where processes, procedures, and having the right people in the right seat is vital for us to take that next step. And so listening to someone like you and hearing how you've been able to make those adjustments and put the people in the right place and put trust into them. And like you said, just overall developing leaders. I mean, that. There's not a better way to put that than just everybody on your team as a leader of some sort. That's an amazing just overall statement for your team. Yeah, I mean, listen, and, and it's not, you know, it's not perfect. You know, it's not, you know, I think there's a lot of these gurus out there that are acting like everything's everything's a perfect, you know, um, you know, they're talking, they're making podcasts or whatever and talking about everything's, you know, per, it's not. You know, every day, um, you know, God knows what happened today at the office. Who knows? Right. But, but I can tell you that they got better. Something something happened and, and they learned from it. But you know what? I would rather, you know, go to sleep knowing that my team got better than go to sleep knowing that I, 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 I took, you know, two months off my life stressing out about whatever the hell they did right or wrong. And they didn't learn because I was micromanaging them. Right. You know? So let's talk about the business itself and the kind of volume that you're doing. You know, how many deals are you going to do or, or what's the what's the most important KPI to you? Is it deals or is it revenue, profit, net profit? How do you track what's successful for you guys? Yeah. So I only look at I have a level 10 meeting on Tuesdays and the only uh, numbers that get reported to me are total gross uh, commission income, uh, retail and wholesale, uh, whether or not we bought houses and um and uh, the total cash in and out for the week. So like I, I know the balances, the accounts and whether or not the team brought money in basically. And then whether or not we bought a house or sold a house. So, so there's only like seven KPIs that I that I know of for the whole team. Um, but that doesn't mean Brian doesn't have all the KPIs from individual departments. Right. So each department has their own L10 and then the, those numbers get reported to Brian. Um, and then on my L10, like, you know, we always talk about like if you're on your own island, right, as a business owner, like and you can only get seven to 10 numbers. What would those numbers be? Right. So I used to get 20 or 30 numbers. And then I started thinking to myself, like, why do I care how many appointments my, my crew went on? Why do I care how many contracts were signed? Why do I care, you know, how many phone calls were made or all that crap? Right. Like I, all I care about is how much money they brought in, you know, <laughs> right. 
So like, you know, to me, like I could start diagnosing problems, but it's not my job to diagnose problems. I have a sales manager for diagnosing problems, right? And it's not my job to figure out why we didn't buy houses. That's there's somebody, there's someone's job to go out and figure out acquisitions. And it's not my job to figure out why we didn't sell shit because I got a, I got a sales manager whose job is to sell shit. So, you know, to me, all I want to know is these are the high level numbers. And then when they're off track, I could say to the person who's responsible, why are they off track? Let's diagnose that issue. Right. But I don't need to know the micro. Gotcha. Let me ask you a question. Since you, when you started, you were doing everything yourself. Mm -hmm. Today, do you ever miss being in the game? No, I really don't. You know why? Because <laughs> and, and let me tell you why, though. First of all, I did it for a long time. Uh, I used to enjoy uh, walking the projects and I still do occasionally I'll go through some of the new construction houses only because they're getting built like literally a half mile from my house. We build houses right. in, in my town. Um, I don't walk through any of our our uh, our, re, our like rehab houses anymore uh, at all. You know, Brian literally buys them, flips them and resells them. I, I don't even know where they're at. Um, and um, I don't because I tell you, like I, I found new levels of like reason for wanting to do what I do. Like, you know, I used to I used to do it because I love the houses now, now for what I do now, I, I, I enjoy more the coaching aspect. I love solving other people's problems because, you know, I've solved enough of my own internal, you know, business issues. Now it's like I, I find more fun and, you know, random business owners calling me and saying I have this issue because it's, it's something different. You know, when you solve enough real estate related problems, you want to start solving like outside related problems. So let's talk about that real quick. You have your coaching program. Mm -hmm. I also know you have your new book out. It's yep. sitting in my Amazon cart as soon as I finish a couple <laughs> books that I'm currently reading. It's coming my way. Awesome. So let's talk about what that coaching program looks like and, and why did you write the book? Um, yeah, so I wrote the book, and I was telling you before we hopped on the call here. So the book is basically um, the last 10 years of how we got where we got. You know, it, it's it's a lot of case studies on properties that we've recently flipped. And uh, it's just basically a, com a compilation of, you know, how we built – uh, the real estate flip business and put it kind of on autopilot and uh, like just kind of really, you know, I, I thought about it like if I was a uh, if I was this, the flipper that I was, you know, five, six, seven years ago and I was only doing, you know, a couple a year or I was just kind of getting started in the business. What are the tips and tricks that I would want to know in order to help me amplify it and make it easier on myself? Like, what you know, people always think they always ask, like, if you were me, how would what would you do to cut you know cut the learning curve down? You know what I mean. So I wrote the book to to kind of cut the learning curve down, if that makes any sense. Um, gotcha. You know, so that, that so that there's there's some really cool stuff in the book. I think um, personally, I mean, I've had a lot of a lot of people give me some good feedback on it. So I think there's good stuff in there for for guys that guys and girls that want to get in the rehab business and want to and want to do it at a, at a big level. Um, and, and you don't have to do it at a huge level, but you know, even if you wanted to do ten, fifteen a, month, a year or whatever, you could do. Um, you could do. You could do a lot of cool things within the book. But um, so I, I really, I, I, I wrote a book because um, my mentor kept saying, "Just you got to write a book, right?" So, um, you know, I don't know if you've written a book, but when you when you do, you kind of feel like you have to write everything in the first book. Um, <laughs> so I started writing this book, and literally, I wrote it last year, and. Uh, once I started writing, I realized I, I wrote like five books at once. So this was the first one that came out. I was like, okay, let's concentrate on rehab first. How do we build a business? What's the rehab look like? So I started getting into that book. I wrote that book. That book came out, and um, you know, I'm proud of it. It's got like it's got some good stuff in it. So now we're on to 
Uh, I, I'm literally like three books deep already, and that, that's the first one to come out. It came out, you know, a month and a half ago, but um, I, I'm already on the third book, which is uh, which is pretty cool. So once once you start, once you peel off that Band-Aid, man, it's like it just keeps going. That's um, funny. Yeah, I uh, I have this bucket list challenge that I'm doing on Facebook, and uh, I keep mentioning this in the podcast, but I, I guess it's because I set a year long challenge. So listeners, for probably the next eleven months, you're going to hear me bring up this bucket list challenge but uh one of the the items that i wanted to do was write a book and uh uh, someone that follows me on facebook actually connected with me put me in connection with the person that helped them write their book and i'm working on my outline for the first book and while i'm doing that i've already come up with two other ideas for books so i'm right there with you it's like i it it just ideas start just coming up you know but that's part of being a visionary though dude you can have it done in a week we'll have the book done I did. Right. I wrote the book. So, so ironically, though, I wrote the book on on a vacation in um, in uh, Mexico in in four days. I, I wrote it last summer. I recorded the whole book on vacation That's last awesome. summer, and uh, it just took a year to get to get dialed in and then typed up and published and like it, it. You know, so you could write the book like this week. Like it's not right. once you have the ideas in your head, it's not hard. It's just a matter of getting them all out on paper. So, um, you know, it, it, we'll, we'll we'll get it knocked out. So let's talk about the coaching program. We kind of glazed over that a little bit. What does your coaching program look like? And uh, is that local to Philadelphia or is it nationwide? Yeah, no, it's not necessarily. I wouldn't call it a coaching program. Um, it's it basically we, we hold events. We hold uh, we hold roundtable events. We call them CEO roundtable events. Uh, they're for all types of business owners. Uh, don't don't have to be real estate based. Um, generally, there are quite a few real estate folks there because that's most of the people that follow me. But uh, you know, we have a good mix of people insurance uh, insurance business owners and um, you know, kind of like a lot of lot of blue collar type business owner, painting contractors, and uh, you know, stuff like that. And uh, it's a, it's a good collaboration. We keep it tight, like. 10 to 12, uh, 10 to 12 business owners there at any given time. And, um, you know, it's really is, it's a, it's like a good old fashioned round table. You know, we, we sit around and, um, it's a two day event and we, we solve issues. You know, you come there with uh, one to three challenges you're dealing with what's working, what's not working. And, uh, you leave there with actionable, tangible things that you can go put into action, um, within the next 30 to 60 days. And we see crazy results from it. You know, we see people that some some people add 50% to their bottom line revenue in the next 60 days. So, um, you know, my goal is to see people, um, you know, uh, just just have great, fantastic results in that two day in that two day event. Um, that's the roundtable. And then the next level, uh, which is not an upsell from the roundtable. I mean, the roundtable is a standalone event. Um, you know, we have a lot, plenty of people come there one time, you know, two times, three times. Um, but then we also have um, the inner circle family, which is my mastermind group, uh, which, uh, you know, is is the full immersion where, you know, you pay for the year and then you can come to all the roundtables. Um, we have a pri- private Facebook group. We have a one hour coaching call uh, once a week. And then basically the guys get access to my cell phone and they can call me whenever they want. Call me, text me, harass me, tell me what's going on in their business, tell me personal life and so forth. And uh, and, and within the mastermind group, we also do a couple of um, private trips just for the uh, inner circle family. Um, and then we'll do some cool stuff like we're going to Mexico in uh, November uh, just for the inner circle family. So, um, you know, I wouldn't call it coaching, but uh, but, you know, it's, it's for it's for it's for business owners that are already uh, making money that, that uh, want to see themselves either either increase their business or create more freedom for themselves, I, I would say, because it's not necessarily just to come in there and try to scale up. We're not, we're not necessarily trying to push people to another level. Sometimes guys just want to get in there and uh, find, find their way to, uh, to, to more freedom and uh, create that ownership piece. 
I love that. I, you know, I'm such a huge advocate for roundtables, mastermind types of events. Um, was there a particular mastermind that kind of inspired you to do this? Or was this something that just kind of came about just with your success and the time that you have available and something that you wanted to do? Or did, did this come from a previous experience that you had that elevated your business? It's a spinoff of multiple things. I've been investing for about five years now, maybe seven years now. I've, I've been literally going to everything that I can get my hands on. I, I, I spend well over six figures a year on myself um, between multiple mastermind groups that I belong to. I go to all kinds of different seminars and roundtables and hot seats and all this type of stuff. Um, you know, so I've basically kind of blended together all like the best of the best of what I've learned uh, as far as going to these events and kind of pushed it all into one event. So it's a little bit of EOS training. It's a little bit of hot seat events I've gone to. It's a little bit of, you know, different seminars that I've attended that worked really well. And, you know, I've kind of just kind of brought it all together into like, you know, my own personal spin on it. And uh, like I said, we've been we've been really successful. The people that come there um, get great feedback from it. And, uh, you know, as long as as long as the feedback's great and people are getting a lot out of it, we'll keep doing it. That's awesome, man. Yeah. So let's talk about your why. Um, what sure. is the reason why you do all of this? Yeah, so uh, you know, for a long time, I used to say my my, my family, my kids, right? I think that's like the uh, that's like the uh, the standard answer, which is you know, which is obviously true, right? I love my family, right. love my kids, but you know, I, I've been more recently, like in the last six months to a year, I've started to realize like it's more about building legacy. So for me, um, you know, it's more about finding other people and helping them build their legacy. Like, I know that sounds cheesy, but and I'll let you, I'll, I'll kind of get a little bit deeper about that. My why has started to become, not only do I want my team and my employees and everyone that's surrounding me to get super successful, but I want their kids to be successful. Like, I, I, I honestly think when the evangelistic companies 200 years from now, I want their great, great, grand ch you know, children to work for us. You know, I want... I want people to be uh, successful that have no idea who the hell I am, but something that I shared or something that I, that I helped somebody with or something that I helped somebody within the mastermind or, you know, maybe it's someone who lives in, you know, upstate California that never heard of me 100 years from now is, is, is living a, a better life because of something I shared with their great grandfather. Um, that's what I think about when I think about building legacy. You know, our words and our content, the things we share, like the stuff on this podcast, Dude, there's people listening to this podcast that you'll never meet, but they'll they'll put it into action and they'll do things with it and they'll be successful as a result. That's building legacy. And you know what? We don't even have to benefit from it. We just have to know that we did something awesome. Yeah, man. Just yesterday, you know how on Facebook Messenger it'll say you have, you know, one new request, which is someone that you're not friends with on Facebook sending you a Facebook message. Yep. I went and read it. And guy asked me, hey, I've got a question about this property. What do you think? And it was just, it was a very simple question to answer. And I answered it. And then, you know, a couple of messages later, he said, hey, are you going to be at this event? And I said, yeah, I, I might be at that event. I actually might be speaking at that event. And then he's like, dude, keep doing what you're doing. I love what you're doing with the Titanium Vault. I listen to every single one of your episodes and you've helped me out so much. And the conversation ended. I don't e I didn't even know who that guy was. Yeah. I don't know what market he's in. I have no idea how he found out. But that feeling is irreplaceable. Yeah. Like, I mean, it, it's just one of those feelings of, wow, that's completely unbelievable. And, and the great thing about it is, is 
it's not just me. It's all the people that have chosen to come on here and share their different stories and their strategies and their whys. It's just, uh, it's an incredible time. I say this all the time. It's an incredible time to be an entrepreneur because it's so easy to get your message, your story, and your content out there to other people and uh, just help other people. And like you said, leave a legacy. Um, yeah, our whys are very similar. Um, I, I actually just did an interview with Corey Peterson's podcast and, and, uh, our wives were almost identical there. So awesome. I appreciate you sharing that, man. Yeah, man. Um, with that being said, I have to wrap up this interview by saying Joe is a huge Philadelphia Eagles fan and I am a huge New England Patriots fan. I'm sorry to hear that brother. And, uh, we all know what happened in the Super Bowl. And I'm going to inform Joe of what happened in the Super Bowl. He doesn't actually know this, but. Oh, I was there. I, I know it. I was there. Tom Brady actually felt so sorry for the people of Philadelphia Stop. that he took it easy on Stop you and it. allowed y'all to, to taste success for the first time ever. Is so. that why he dropped the nine yard pass? Because he, <laughs> he felt bad for us? Come on. Uh, Come so. on, brother. <laughs> Oh, man. Listen, brother, you are welcome to Philadelphia anytime you want. I have season tickets to the world champion Philadelphia Eagles, and I would be happy to take you to any home game. So you just come on up whenever you're ready. Uh, well, you know what? I live in uh, I live in Dallas-Fort Worth, and, and my second team is the Cowboys. Well, none of us want to go to one of those games, so it's all good. And so I might have to come up there and take you up on your offer to go see the Cowboys and Eagles play. Let's go. And uh, it, the only thing I'm scared of is, is I've heard some Eagles fans throw batteries at like Cowboys fans and nah, stuff. So as long as, as long as I don't get killed, that's I'm fake good. news. That's fake news. <laughs> that's fake news, bro. All right, man. Well, hey, I appreciate you taking the time to sit down with us and uh, and just share your your incredible journey. Um, it, it's almost impossible to get it, all of the content that you could provide us in, in this short 30 to 40 minute window. But, uh, I think there was a ton of great content there. And like I said, I just appreciate taking the time. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. All right, man. We'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. Thanks so much for listening to the Titanium Vault with your host, RJ Bates Third. For more info and to stay up to date, visit www.podcast.thetitaniumvault.com and on facebook.com slash thetitaniumvault. If you enjoyed the episode, please rate and review, and we'll catch you next time on the Titanium Vault. Titanium Vault.